Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we'll thank our title sponsors, Tarpon Sellers Wine Co., tarponsellers.com, coupon code Nolcast for 20% off, as we're fond of saying. Some of the better reds in the world, some very complimentary whites for this time of year. Give our friends out in Napa Valley a look. Great people, massive Florida State fans, and longtime supporters of the Nolcast. Just in case y'all are worried, Always want to thank the good people at Louisiana Hot Sauce. And, Bud, I found something different, dog. It's rare that I just text you, you know, at 9 o'clock at night out of the blue. But I don't know if this will get picked up. Yeah, that's better than I thought it would. This is actually Look Louisiana Hot Sauce aged in a bourbon barrel. So uh, a little higher. You know, I think you pay four fifty five bucks for this, about two times the cost. I did have uh, Christina do a like a blind taste test with me because I was a little, you know, a little skeptical, as you can imagine. Uh, it's good. It's, it's, there is a, a little bit of a noticeable difference in taste and uh, just a new wrinkle to the offerings from the good people from uh, I, what, New Iberia, Louisiana. Always coming up with something down there. Dude, no doubt about it. And uh, some would say that we are complimentary whites as, as we, you know, uh, we compliment. Especially this other. time of year. Yeah, and we're, compliment, we're certainly complimenting Louisiana Hot Sauce and our good friends at Tarpon Cellars. Uh, so we took last week off as we had planned to do for um, the whole time. Uh, I have to burn some of this paternity leave and Ingram also with the new job uh, has a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and we try not to do like four shows. So we are back. We have a, I think a fairly full show today, maybe 45 minutes ish. I would think maybe, maybe 50 depends. Um, judging by the Patreon questions, I feel like a lot of people don't have a whole lot of questions right now. So if you do have some questions you want to get answered, make sure you throw those into the Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash nolcast uh, we should probably start uh, by putting a bow on amarius mims uh, so that sucked that sucked very for painful Florida state for the kid um like for everybody involved obviously. yeah yeah um, it was a, it was tough it was tough as you said for for all parties uh certainly this fan base has gotten a a bit of a PhD recently in uh, in getting your hopes up and having it all kind of taken away from you. Um, you know, we can say what we say, want to say about how some of it played out and the understanding of the situation as it evolved, but you thought you were getting a five-star tackle. You thought you were getting a chance to kind of wrap up an area of concern that's been a deep concern in this program for half a decade, if not more. Um, you thought you were getting the top kid in the portal. Obviously, you're getting, you know, the square root of a blank all at this point. But you got to keep moving. I'm not trying to, you know, serve you guys a, a glass of sugar water and tell you that it's champagne or something like that. But the only thing that I take away from this is that in the collective mind of the broader college football fan, I think this is forgotten within two weeks. This isn't some kind of Travis Hunter monumental change of landscape or anything else like that. Again, they're all painful. For me, the Mims one might have hurt more than Hunter, but um, I don't know that you like sustained damage to the brand or some of the other things that transpired in December. So it hurts. I think it'll be gone. It'll probably process, flush itself out of the system a little bit quicker, um, and you'll move on to the next. And that's all really all you can do at this point. Yeah, I, I know we got a lot of questions about like how other media outlets handled the Mims thing. Um, I don't really want to get into that. I think we talked about that plenty on the prior uh, episode. I, again, I, I do think that's kind of where reporting is going with like the, the intends to sign type reporting. If you look at NFL free agency stuff or NBA free agency stuff, uh, 
they're, they're not waiting on e, on ESPN to uh, to to you know wait until Kyrie Irving signs with whomever. They're like, hey, like this, he's, his mind's made up. Um, I do think FSU is getting Mims. I think FSU did a tremendous job on Mims. Obviously, you know Mims' friend uh, and former high school teammate getting killed in a car crash is uh, is extremely tragic, and I, I think was a a really impactful emotional blow there. Uh, to him and obviously to his family and, you know, to the, to the kid's family. So um, I think it made him reconsider some things. I don't really think that FSU could have done anything better. They were on top of this the entire time. They got him on campus. He was not going to visit Miami. Um, I believe that the, uh, the NIL stuff was done uh, extremely well there. And that is the reason why we don't put out the, Hey, Mims is, is, uh, is a done deal. Because although I certainly wouldn't have factored that in as a potential thing to happen. I guess you really never can know. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of bumps you back down to the expectations that you had uh, coming out of spring, which were expectations for an improved team. Uh, but it also uh, imparts a bit of more downside risk to the team uh, like you had previously. You know, I, I think we said, hey, if you get a Marius Mims, I think the chance that you miss a bowl game goes down quite a bit because it means you're not dipping into the Lloyd Willis uh, level of player having to play important reps for you on the offensive line. Um, now, obviously, you are back into that range to where, you know, you could win four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. I don't think you're going to win three. I don't think you're going to win more than 10. Anything else, I think, is uh, if you run your projections, is going to be uh, you're going to get a percentage outcome of greater than 1% on all of those which means we're probably going to have a lot of close games, I would say. I do think this team will be in fewer blowouts overall, uh, and I think it'll be a competitive team, but uh, not getting Mims. You're not going to get another really high-level tackle out of the portal this year. That was your one shot. Uh, we don't sugarcoat things here on the Nolcast. Uh, I know just doing all the cover three, and if you haven't been listening to the Summer School Series, uh, it's been running me ragged, but I feel like it's been exciting content over there on, on all these teams. We've already taped ours with Noles 24 7s Brendan Sinone. Uh, and, you know, we're actually smart enough not to count Mims in, even though we did it before that Mims made his decision, uh, thankfully. So I don't have to retape that. But uh, every single team out there is looking for a tackle in the portal. Uh, Alabama took one from Vanderbilt. <laughs> so that kind of speaks to the, the lack of level of tackles out there in the portal. I think Bless Harris is going to end up looking like a very smart take for FSU. Uh, but... Yeah, that's kind of the bow on the mem situation. I, I don't, I don't think FSU should hang its head. They they didn't get beat by somebody else in the portal. The kid decided to go back to be with his existing teammates. I don't know what else you do there. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot. It's just a it's just a horrible situation uh, for for what transpired personally for Mims and how that played out and the role that it could have played in his decision. Who knows? I mean, I, I lost. Uh, Three friends of mine that I wrestled with in high school uh, within 18 months of each other in college, and it was uh, it's hard to make sense of, man. It certainly introduces you into a, a level of life and consequences and things that you're not, you know, at, at 18, you didn't really know was there, and all of a sudden at 19, you do. So uh, we all respond to things differently, and if that played a role in him wanting to, you know, go back to what was known uh, to him and in Georgia and his teammates, then uh, so be it, and we certainly wish him the best of luck. Uh, no doubt about it. Um did you see uh, some of the Rising Spear news recently? Yes. Yeah. So 
A defensive tackle out of Mississippi, certainly expected, and we talked about on here. Uh, a safety by the name of Dent was maybe not one of the first people that I thought would have a relationship with uh, with internal NIL, but uh, good to see, and I think that's probably a, a decent reflection of some of the strides that Akeem Dent's made uh, over the past six, eight months or so, or really the past year. I mean, he started to emerge at the end of, of last year um, and – Hell, all the way from the first play of the Notre Dame game. I don't know if you remember this, bud, but he comes up, misses the tackle, gets up, runs, makes the tackle 18 yards later downfield. Obviously, you'd want him to make the first tackle, but that level of effort might not have been something that uh, was seen in previous years from Dent and a player who's very much kind of coming into his own. I I, I do remember that play, and uh, I, I think this speaks a lot to uh, the commitment from Rising Spear. There are over 1,000 donors now, uh, obviously Matthew Quigley, CEO of Rising Spear now. I, I think this is uh, this is really a good thing ultimately. And this is going to be an annual thing that you're going to have to fight off uh, potential tampering from other schools to keep kids out of the portal, especially because the SEC cannot poach from, from one another after February 1st. That they're deadline, like you cannot transfer within the SEC. So if you are a school, I don't know, in like Texas or Georgia and you need a safety and you scouted the kid. Uh, that's a place that you maybe hope he jumps into the portal. And uh, I think that is a, that's a win for FSU right there to, uh, uh, to keep him for sure. I, I, again, he's not a superstar yet, but uh, I think smart teams pay up for guys that they uh, expect to be good players for them. And I, I do project him as a starter. I think he still has a lot of that ability that he had as a five-star. He just had never really stayed healthy as you noted. Um, we do have a couple kids who did jump in the portal. I wanted to kind of discuss that a little bit. Um, so, so far we have in recent weeks, uh, we did, we touched on Corey Rand, obviously. Hunter Washington, Jordan Young, Quayshawn Fuller, and uh, I think I saw Kobe Gross on Twitter. Is he officially in or did he just tweet about it? He had tweeted about it. I don't um... – I, I believe I thought that he was officially in as of the end of last week, but I could be wrong about that. Okay. I saw um, him putting his, you know, putting his practice tape and everything else out there. Uh, he made, uh, he made such a, uh, um, uh, I guess he's going to DVC, which is DVC Viking football. I think that's a Juco DVC.edu. Any idea where DVC is? Uh, Diablo Valley College in Pleasantville, okay. California. He's from yeah. out there in California, I believe. So, yeah, uh, yeah, he's tweeting about FSU in, in the uh, in the past tense. Um, so, if I learned one thing about being an FSU, it's how to face adversity. This wasn't part of the plan, but it's going to be legendary. Um, ultimately, the thing I think that I learned about this is that the evaluations for the class of 2021 uh, are largely bad by everybody in college football compared to the normal baseline because you never got to see these kids in person or work them out at all. So you were scouting just off video. And for all the people that are like, watch the tape, you don't need to go to these camps. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. You do need to go to these camps because right. you really, you spot differences between similarly ranked players and you're able to differentiate between them. So Kobe Gross was the lowest rated player uh, that they signed in that class. Uh, I believe uh, Mike Norvell uh, eval there liked him as thought as a, as a guy to bring in probably also a reflection on the tight end room at the time, uh, although it really has not been improved much in his time here. 
they thought they needed some tight end bodies, and they brought in Kobe Gross. Not not a uh, not a useful player, but I mean, you're going to have a really high attrition rate off this. Uh, I, I I believe this is kind of why timing wise, Norvell's been kind of screwed, you know, and why I think we put out that video. Norvell's not in the hot seat because the guys that I believe would have to cut the checks uh, are understanding of this. Like it's you get a transition class. And then you get a class where you never get to evaluate the kids and you never had them in your camp, like even in the year prior, like a lot of schools would have had. And Hunter Washington is the other one, I guess, uh, who has jumped in. Uh, and Jadarius. Oh, right. Jadarius Green McKnight as well. Yeah. Um, he's a, a guy that I thought was always uh, a little bit overranked, to be frank. Um, I just, you know, hitter, but undersized, probably not big enough to be a linebacker, not somebody with with uh, plus level cover skills. So I don't think any of these players are players that FSU is going to miss at all. Um, Quayshawn Fuller is probably the, the most disappointing uh, one in terms of him going because you think, all right, well, not that he ever really showed that he was going to be a good player for them as far as consistency of approach and dedication to it. But the ceiling was always still there. And so that's disappointing that they could not get him to get with it consistently. And I like, I, I talked to Quayshon after the spring game. I, I, I've always enjoyed talking to Quayshon. Uh, but, you know, like some of these guys have a level of self-awareness and some don't. And, uh, you know, he's like, he, he was always thinking he was a defensive end. And I, I was like, I, I think this guy should play D tackle. I remember him describing the conversation uh, that he relayed to me from Odell Higgins. Back in the day, when he was saying, "Hey, uh, Odell told me that if I was, uh, you know, under such and such weight, I could play the end." And at the time, he was like two seventy something. I was laughing. I was like, "Yeah, I'm sure, you're going to go backwards in weight." He did. <laughs> he wanted to play on the outside. Just, I don't know. Yeah. Some some kids think they're quarterbacks until it's way too late too. Yeah, that's tough on that kid in particular because you did start to see his game evolve. He had a better year this year. Had some splash plays again from game one. Um, you know, maybe he lands somewhere that uh, he could truly develop into whatever it was he's going to be. But, uh, you know, that that one you always knew was probably either boom or bust. And we've described that as a couple of different kids on the defensive line. But then uh, of all the ones leaving, certainly Quayshon Fuller is the one that uh, that bothers me the most as far as a kid who had a chance to continue to contribute and continue to evolve and develop as a prospect. For sure. Um Anybody else we need to talk about transfer-wise? I think that's all all the outbound conversation satiated. Uh, I think they'll have somebody... one or two more probably, by the way. Yeah. Like, I don't know necessarily exactly who, um, and kids change their minds, but I do think that there's more more fat to be cut from this roster, to be sure, uh, as a result of having you know, that much turnover in such a short period uh, as far as coaching staff and, and then the, the COVID class. But... Um, yeah. Uh, one thing, though, that I don't really expect a turnover is our relationship with Chad and Shannon. The legendary team is absolutely tremendous at giving you the home loan that you want, competitive rates, knowledge of the industry, tremendous customer service. They're going to walk you through the process from start to finish. And I was talking to Shannon the other day. He's like, look, I, I've managed people. I really just like doing loans. And I really like doing NOLCAST loans because when NOLCAST listeners call, they have their stuff together. They generally have quality credit. And you know we we work with them, and it's really uh, it, it's a fun process. We get to talk a little FSU 
844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN is the number to call. And we hope those guys, uh, have. they're also going on vacation, kind of like we did last week. They're, they're going on vacation soon. So I uh, hope those dudes have a great vacation. really appreciate uh, their proud support of the Nolcast. Um, I, I wanted to get one of our listener questions in, which was with exit interviews going on, how do these actually work? And the answer is actually, it's kind of different for each kid. Um, so peeling back the, the curtain here a little bit from college football. Sometimes you can, like if a kid really, it kind of depends. Are, are you trying to keep the kid? Or are you trying to get the kid to leave? Um, is it a kid who is motivated by playing time? Or is it a kid who really just doesn't care about playing time anymore and he just likes the college life? All of these things are different ways you approach this. If you want the kid to stay, then obviously you're going to talk to him about how much he's developing, how he's going to have increased playing time likely, how he's, if he's not a starting, you know, just he's maybe one injury away uh, or, you know, maybe just one good fall camp away from getting that starting spot. Uh, obviously, there's some stretching of the truth involved there at, with, with any exit interview at any school. Then on the flip side, I think it really breaks down to, your evaluation of the player. If he's somebody who's motivated by playing time, you just basically tell him he's not going to play. And those guys will usually hit the portal. The tricky part is if it's somebody who is kind of beyond, like they're they're no longer uh, you know, believing that they are going to uh, you know be playing in the NFL. And they don't really care about playing time. They just care uh, about you know, living the college life and, and, and having a good time. In that case, you're essentially, you need to do the pre-work. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but this is what happens. You need to do the pre-work of putting them on a PIP, okay? You, you everybody know what a PIP is, like, like a personal improvement plan? Everything is charted like crazy. It, is the kid showing up to study hall? Is he showing up to rehab? Is he showing up to, uh, you know, weights? Is, is, he, is he showing up to practice? And anything that can be be uh, addressed as mandatory. Um, you, you, the schools are going to document it like crazy. It's the, the ultimate, yeah. It's the college football, it's the college football equivalent of a corporate performance review, basically. Correct. Yeah. Uh, like I've had coaches tell me, we have that kid on a plan. So, you know, like one more slip up and we'll be able to pull a scholarship. And the thing is, you have to document it because scholarships actually are guaranteed now for four years at the Power Five level if the kid lives up to the conditions of his scholarship, right? That and and like you don't just get to pull it willy nilly and say, and say hey he didn't live up to the conditions like you actually have to go before like a scholarship review board uh, to say like these are the reasons why we are uh, withdrawing the scholarship so that's how these power five schools do it it's like hey he had like he he said he was hurt uh, because a lot a lot of these kids are, they'll claim they're they're injured okay which some are and some probably aren't um, and then like he didn't show up to rehab. Uh, you know, didn't take that seriously, doesn't go to study hall, uh, you know, missed this, missed that. And, and they're just trying to establish like a pattern of behavior. And then they're able to, uh, to, to pull the scholarship there. Uh, I expect this to get more cutthroat, by the way, as college football becomes more uh, outwardly professional as opposed to just kind of under the table, table professional. I think that's kind of obvious. But that that's generally how it works. So if you see some kids on the team who don't really give a damn about playing time, but 
they're on top of their academics. They like all their friends they've made in Tallahassee or wherever it is. And they're like, how in the hell have they not been able to, to, you know, process this kid for lack of a better word. It's probably just a kid who understands enough. Like, Hey, I just got to show up when I'm supposed to show up. And I like, this is still treated as a job because it basically is, even though the NCAA doesn't want it to be. Um, and thus you're not like the school knows it doesn't have a case to pull aid. Fascinating and honest look at uh, something that I think we're all kind of somewhat familiar with. Maybe don't know all the details at a granular level. Um, yeah, again, this is one of those situations where I think, you know, if you're if you're a 30 year old guy, you've got a pretty good idea as to what this is like. Uh, it just it presents itself in a different package and with a little bit different wording. But the uh, intent may be the same. So, uh, yeah, a good good little look behind the scenes there and glad you're able to answer a listener question in as much detail as you were. What, uh, where do you want to go now? Uh, you want to look at portal needs real quickly. We'll do a couple questions and that'll probably be the show. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's pretty fair. Um, so you didn't get a Marius Mims. That kind of sucks for you. Um, you still need an offensive lineman. I'm skeptical uh, about FSU's ability to bring in one who's actually going to make an impact. Not that's not really a reflection on like the staff's ability to close. I, I think they had a very unique circumstance with with, with Mems, and I, I think they did, straight up, I do think they did a tremendous job with Mems. Yeah. Okay. You, like you answered this earlier in your fact that Bama went to Vanderbilt, right? There's just not that many tackles out there uh, yeah. to go get. Uh, it's just and a, it's not like the Vanderbilt kids like an elite, like no doubt NFL prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they do need to take another offensive lineman. I think I just be prepared. Like the quality of player is not likely to be great. Uh, it's it's you know, probably not a huge difference maker, but you can be a difference maker in terms of if you are the firewall between yourself and playing somebody on the roster who really just uh, will never be able to play or. It's just not going to be ready to play this year or perhaps even next year. So I do think they need to still take one there. Um, what do you think about linebacker? This is one I've kind of went back and forth on. I, I'm not opposed to them taking a linebacker. I think it has to be a, a significant ad or at the end of the cycle, somebody that you just referenced, somebody that <clears throat> is not of the opinion that they're going to come in and get you know, 60 snaps a game or something like that, but they may be able to come in, provide you, uh, you know, a little bit of depth, a little bit of experience and cushion some of the snaps that you have to give Deloach and uh, the UCF transfer. Um, I, I think if you take a, again, if you take a linebacker here, it'll be a kid that can either immediately pop and contend to be a starter, or it'll be somebody at the end of the cycle that you had, you know, maybe one or two numbers left to play with and, you're deciding you're going to take somebody that uh, you know raises the floor uh, slightly. So, I I agree with that. Um, the other thing I, I would think is more of a developmental guy, right? Like if you can get somebody maybe in that 2021 class who wants to come home to Florida, uh, because like, do you think Deloach is an NFL player? Um, uh, maybe, maybe in today's NFL, yeah. I mean, yeah. but uh, not not a, a sure thing, but it's trending Bethune in the right see. direction. But yeah. I, I, okay, so hypothetically, I, I, I believe that the chance that like a parlay of Bethune and Deloach being back in 2020, 
three, I feel like the odds of that are low. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it wouldn't shock me if one of them are back, obviously. But I, I think the chance that both come back are are very low. Um, so, given that, I don't really like what you have behind those guys. Um, you know, I think Lundy is a, a, a part-time dude at best, uh, even with, with some of the improvements. Obviously, Dix, I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to unlock the hips there. Um, Omar Graham, they like quite a bit, but that's just one dude. So if you could take a, a guy who's a younger guy and you feel like he's more of a developmental dude, I wouldn't think that's the worst thing in the world. But I, I think it is worth noting that FSU is sort of in a spot here where they're not able to upgrade the starters that much through the portal anymore. Like this is definitely a better team than what you saw two years ago. Um, receiver, I, I think you got to go get one. I mean, 100%. I, I, I think yep. I'm a little bit wrong on Pittman. I, I think Pittman could end up being their best receiver. We'll see. I'm not buying into Johnny Wilson until I actually see it in games. Um, I just, I, I don't see it. Um, they, they went out and did a great job and got Winston Wright a dude who I think was one of the the very best receivers available to a, a school, the level of FSU in the portal right now. And, uh, you know, it's just it kind of car crash. Like, do you really think he's going to play this year? Maybe. Do you think he's going to like play at a high level this year? I think it's, it's unlikely. Um, I mean, no fault of his own, obviously with the car crash, it, it, it sucks. But from a roster management standpoint, I think you need to go. I think I think you need to go try to get another receiver if you can. It's just a hard sell, given that you already took four in the portal, um, and it's not realistic to think you're going to have a hundred percent hit rate in the portal or even anything like that. Again, these guys are in the portal for a reason. Now, sometimes it's a, it's a good reason, sometimes it's not, but it's not like all of them are super proven commodities l- looking to go to Bama. Um, the other one I would say is probably DB or defensive end, dude. Um, I mean, do you really trust Grady Vance as your corner four? I don't know. Skeptical. Yeah, um, I'd I'd love to get a defensive end if, and I, I know you feel kind of okay with where you are, but uh, if you can get a kid that wants to come home early in the process, kind of you're describing as linebacker, uh, I would take him in a heartbeat, put him in the system for a year, and have him be ready to contribute. Next year, if not earlier. Uh, defensive back, I would hold off on because it's the one area, and maybe I'm this is a sh- short sample, but this is the one area where I feel this program can go out and elite uh, and recruit at the high school level and source its own problems or, or source its own solutions, rather. Uh, that hasn't been a problem. Developing who you have in-house has been, and I don't really see that being all that different, whether or not it's a high school kid or a kid you bring in in the portal. I think that's fair. Um I also think we have to watch who else jumps in the portal here in the final, uh, you know, in in the final five days of, the, of this cycle, right? Like the the deadline is May one, uh, unless you get a waiver, there could be more guys to jump in, and I don't think they're going to be starters, but you never really know. Uh, it's it's certainly possible. Uh, you also have some guys who are. Um, I mean, I saw a deleted tweet last night, and I'm not going to call the kid out because he deleted it, uh, but I, I saw it before he deleted it guys who are very unrealistic about their market value, you know, T- tweeting like, where, you know, where, what about my NIL? Like, well, you're not really any good, <laughs> right? Like you're good enough to be a backup on a team in the ACC that is 
their goal is to make a bowl game. Like you're not actually a good player. Like you don't have real value on the open market to any of these teams that are slinging NIL money around. Uh, but maybe some of these other guys do, or may, like all, all it takes is one school. You know, uh, look at the uh, look look at baseball for agency. Right? It's like, would, would they sign him? Would they sign him? No, but like, all, all it takes is one team. Same as the draft coming up tomorrow night. Hey, would would this team take him there? Would that team take him there? No, but if one team falls in love, that's that's really kind of kind of all it takes. So we'll see who else who else jumps in. I don't really think any other starters or uh, significant contributors will right now. But if you could get a D end. I think that would be uh, that'd be a big time thing. We probably should mention uh, Daryl Jackson, by the way, the uh, the high school teammate of Josh Farmer. Uh, he went to Maryland and put on uh, a good amount of weight. Most of it looks like it was good weight. Obviously, um, FSU was involved there and they were pushing, um, but so were Florida and Miami. Uh, he ends up picking uh, Miami. I will say, Obviously, NIL, I think, plays a factor in this. They, they announced an NIL deal almost immediately uh, as he committed. But I don't really want to get into that. I think this is largely more about uh, team need. This is a total kick in the pants for Florida. Uh, and I'm not even saying Jackson's like a bona fide stud or, or, or guaranteed good player. Um, but Miami and, and Florida uh, both needed defensive tackles in like the worst way. I think for Florida State, they need the tackles in the future, but certainly Jackson was not somebody who was going to get a lot of snaps for you, most likely this year. I think he's got a shot to like start at Miami, and I think he probably would have started at Florida, to be frank. I mean, they mm-hmm. have they've got one guy and at, at, at UF a D tackle, which is something like if you if you're more uh bullish on beating Florida this year than, than I am. Here's the guys who are gone off Florida's front seven, just to take us on a total tangent here. Uh, Zach Carter's gone. Valentino's gone. Newkirk's gone. Truesdale's gone. Diabate's gone. Hopper's gone. Moon's gone. Chris Bogle's gone. That's like almost 3,000 snaps out of the front seven last year uh, that are gone. They have an absolute beast in Jervon Dexter. And after that... uh, I think they're a little bit in trouble, to be frank, uh, about guys on the defensive interior. And you play them in game 12. So if the attrition monster gets them, uh, there's absolutely a world you could live in. And I'm not saying this will happen, but it is within the realm of possibility that their run defense is just much worse than it was last year. And at times last year, it was pretty leaky. So something to think about. But uh, yeah. Uh, Miami go, gets Jackson. They're throwing around quite a bit of money right now with their billionaire uh, and the the uh, the life wallet. Uh, per, or they're, or they're opening up the life wallet. And they're opening so, up the life wallet. Yes, not, not an inducement, obviously, um, et cetera, et cetera. I, again, I don't really care about is it inducement or not. Like, of course it is, and it every school's doing it. So just you know, do it better. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, I just I wanted to mention that. As far as like the most recent transfer portal guy that FSU uh, was on, but I, I do think they'll still try to add two, th- two, three more dudes in the portal. I would think. Yeah, as you said, a lot of activity here in the next week or so uh, as we approach that deadline to enter, and then you get a better idea as to what's out there. You just have to enter the portal. You don't have to make a decision, correct? 
Correct. You do not have to make your decision by May 1. You have to be into the portal by May 1. And you can still go back to your school if you Mm -hmm. are in the portal by May 1. It's just sort of a... um, The rule is intended to provide some base level of clarity with respect to when you go into the portal and like what a roster is going to look like come fall. So you don't have guys jumping in the portal. uh, Getting recruited away in August, right. Now, you can still jump in the portal in August. You just... Without a waiver, you can't play immediately uh, at your new school. You do have to. You, it's the old thing with with the sit, the one year. I think mm. that will probably go away. By the way, in the next couple of years, mm. I think it's going to be seen as like a you know re- restriction on on, on movement. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen in like the next two years. But maybe in the future, it'll depend on like contracts and whatnot. I would think. Um, All right. We'll get to our listener questions here, uh, that of which we didn't kind of organically cover throughout the course of the podcast. As always, we'll thank the guys at Congruity. CongruityHR.com is the website. Matt Lewis is our friend and contact there. Uh, been nothing but great for the Nolcast. And I'm shocked by how many people over the last couple of weeks or so have reached out to me and said, yeah, I reached out to Shannon for a loan, and then I called Matt Lewis about my payroll or whatever else it is. Uh so that's pretty fantastic. The amount of movement that we've gotten on this over the past couple months or so has been great. Uh, Bud referenced that I took a job a couple of weeks ago, and I'm I like to kind of keep my life bifurcated, but uh, working in podcast and for a marketing agency here in Atlanta, and I'm in the job for about uh, ten days, and all of a sudden uh, down the hall, I hear the president of the company complaining about fees that he's never seen associated with our payroll or whatever else, and I thought. You know, I didn't plan on being the uh, the jackass that immediately <laughs> plugs an existing sponsor of his at, his, at a new position. But, uh, hey, let's talk with Matt Lewis about payroll here. So uh, that's a reflection of of uh, how much I value Matt and what he's been able to bring to the Nolcast. And we think that he would only do similar with your agency <clears throat> or operation. So you got 10 minutes, give him a call. Five minutes on Florida State football. Five minutes on where congruity can help you. And a big thank you, as always, to Matt Lewis and his team. Let's uh, let's take Connor's question first. All right, so Connor says, uh, why was Florida State able to compete for high-end recruits during the Jimbo years, but seems to consistently lose out now? Is there not uh, complete buy-in from the booster? Has the cost of do- doing business risen dramatically? Or is it a combination of the two and perhaps other factors? Yeah, that's a good question. Um I think they had a really good recruiting staff in Jimbo's first iteration of the staff. And then I felt like that fell off uh, a decent bit in the second and sort of, uh, you know, third uh, editions of the staff. Uh, I certainly think that NIL has something to do with it, but honestly, like a lot of it is you, you really haven't been winning very many games and internally the program has, you know, had uh, some issues going back to like 24, 14, 2015. So uh, it's just really not been like a much of a factor uh, nationally for about seven or eight years. Uh, so it's just, you're not going to get a whole lot of elite level kids uh, to say yes to you if you're not winning a whole lot. And if you don't have a whole lot of hype right now, they don't have a whole lot of hype and juice on, on the recruiting trail. Uh, this is why uh, I asked, are we just playing out the string on national signing day? Right. Because I felt like that was the last year you would actually have serious hype on the recruiting trail. Uh, Now, I think they are still doing a good job with what they have. uh, And I'm not totally convinced you are just playing out the string. But a lot of this is just if you don't win games, 
and other schools become kind of the hot new thing, it's hard to just all of a sudden become the hot new thing yourself uh, if you don't have that new coach smell. And now what you're going to see is Florida and Miami beating FSU on the recruiting trail because they have the new the new coaches and they're able to sell the hype, whereas FSU really can't sell the hype anymore and they don't have the proof of concept. A decent bit, bit of that's out of their control. Uh, so they're going to have to be really, really good at scouting, which I don't know. We'll see if they can do that. Um, and there are stepping up efforts quite a bit with NIL. Um, and I, I do think as well, like the conference payouts have something to do with this, certainly. Like the SEC is lapping uh, the ACC in money. I mean, they're going to triple them at some point. So, you know, at, at a certain point, uh, that kind of chokes you out as ability to compete on the real national level. Is that a little too honest? Uh, no, I mean, it's just the case. Uh, that's the, Relationships you know. with the bagman, too, I would say um, kind of come and go depending on you know which people they like and which people they don't I would to where I was going to take this yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I, I think there was a feeling uh, around the program in 2010 11 or so that if we don't get this right on the recruiting trail we may never be decent again ever um, and like you said Florida State had staffed with uh, almost exclusively recruiters and people were you know knew you needed to go out and get players grown-ass men and everything else that uh, Jimbo referenced at the time. So uh, I do think that there was a, you know, Jimbo was really good at, uh, you know, figuring out who was there to support him and where that support was coming from and establishing those relationships. And that, you know, even at that point in time really mattered. I do think the cost of doing business has risen dramatically, Connor. We've talked about that before. Not that I expect you to listen to every Nolcast ever, but a couple of years ago, I laid out some examples of like linebacker prospects and how much those had drastically escalated, uh, even just throughout Willie's time here. So, yeah, the cost of doing business has gone up. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, Florida State knows the landscape, knows what it has to do. And to an extent, there's some of that eagerness uh, to be competitive again in the kind of uh, atmosphere of support that there was 10 or 12 years ago. And we'll see if that uh, translates to the recruiting trail. I would agree with that. Um, all right, let's go ahead and take Austin's question. Here goes, hey, guys, another uh, y'all are off this week. When you pot again, can you talk about how kids transfer with the school already picked out? <laughs> I get you can't exactly explain how it happens for obvious reasons, but a general idea. I imagine handlers slash high school coaches slash trainers are good contacts, but I'd love to hear it. Um, sure. So it, it's essentially tampering. Uh, I would say all of these schools do it, whether or not their head coaches say they don't uh, is irrelevant. I think some schools probably do it a little bit more. Uh, it's very easy to just call the high school coach and check in on his players and also ask, ask about former players. Hey, how are they doing? You know, uh, is he getting playing time up there? Is he happy? Are you still talking to him? You know, calling the seven on coach, uh, the, the handler, uh, whomever you feel like is uh, is connected to the kid. In some cases, you just talk to the kid, you know, like, most of these coaches, uh, not most. It, I can't say most because I, I've never done a survey on this. I think a good number of these coaches have burner phones, right? Like it makes sense to go to 7-Eleven and just get a $75 phone and keep that where it's not actually connected to you as opposed to, you know, uh, using your school-issued phone for sure. Um, when I talk to coaches, I straight up ask them, is, it, is this a school phone or is this, uh, you know, your personal because I don't want to get FOIA'd in any kind of text messages, you know, and if, if it's, I, I write in my contacts, parentheses school, so I don't text them. Um, 
not anything nefarious. I just don't want my communications to end up in FOIA. So, um, Twitter DMs certainly, especially if you have if you have burner Twitter accounts, are are pretty common. Uh, like, like, there's a, a boatload of recruiting that goes on before these kids hit the portal. Most of them are not flying blind. I, I would say. Um, yeah, that's basically how that works. Interesting. Interesting uh, talk there, and good to get your perspective on uh, something like that. That's not uh, not every podcast is going to be able to offer. Final question of the day comes from Sean. Sean says, "Do you see the SEC getting rid of their interconference February first deadline? Seems to be a massive disadvantage in this day and age where tampering behind the scenes appropriate. Uh, do you think FSU will try to look through the depth charts, quote unquote, in the SEC and reach out to guys that at this point appear destined for second team reps?" Um, I would say that FSU act, like actively scouts the depth charts of, of SEC teams and almost every Power 5 team out there, uh, for sure. I, I, I know they do this. Every school that I, that I talk to does. Um, I do not think the SEC will get rid of its interconference transfer deadline. One of the best things that the SEC did... I do think uh, they'll move it. Earlier? No, I think they'll push it back into March. Why? Uh, because they want there to be, I think they want, well, it'll be, I think it'll be either right before or right after spring is, is my take on the situation. They want there to be a little bit more clarity to that. And, uh, they want the deadline to stay there because they don't want schools picking off each other's roster throughout the spring and summer. Yeah. Uh, but I do think I've heard talk that they may push it back a little bit. Interesting. My thought is like the best thing the SEC did uh, happened about 25 years ago or so. And that the SEC commissioner at the time got these schools to stop snitching on each other <laughs> for cheating. Yeah. And if you, the, the closer you move it to the season, the more allegations of tampering you're going to get. You know what I'm saying? Um, but well, I guess if you move it to early March, like right before spring, that's not the biggest deal. You know, if you move it back even more, imagine if you go SEC to SEC. Like the SEC is, is, is the, the league that's going to have the most NIL because the, their their fans care the most about football, you know. And they gave us you fans care a lot about football, but not as much as some SEC schools do. And certainly, like on a whole, the league uh, cares a whole lot more than the ACC does. So I think you'd get a whole lot of tampering allegations uh, going. And I'm sure – that uh, almost said Mike Slive, but uh, Greg Sankey probably doesn't probably doesn't want that. But if, if they push it back, that'd be interesting. Um, yeah. FSU's guaranteed they've already been scouting all these depth charts for sure. They've probably watched all the spring games. They've looked at the snap counts, uh, see who played, who didn't. And then, uh, of course, they would never do tampering. So uh, they'd probably just wait until some of those guys reached out to them once they were in the portal. I'm sure that's how that would happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a wrap, man. Uh, kind of a quiet week. And uh, oh, did you see FSU is doing the mega camp again? Oh, uh, yes. I meant to put that on our show sheet. I did see that there'll be the second year of the mega camp. I will be. Uh, I'll be going to that. Uh, always good to help out Nils twenty four seven a little bit, and I'm sure Ivans will be at that as well. So that'll be cool. Um, and uh, they're also doing their uh, their camps in Tallahassee again. They had great turnout last year. I know the one thing the coaching staff is like the most excited about though is that they're finally able to get back out on the road and uh, 
uh, and see prospects. And when I say get back out on the road, that's not even really a, a true description of the issue because this staff has never been able to go on the road uh, for the spring evaluation period. They were hired in uh, December of 19 and almost immediately the world shut down in March and uh, it was you know, very weird. You couldn't go anywhere by NCAA rule. So you weren't able to recruit off campus. And then last year, they were again not able to do it because the COVID restrictions were still uh, were still in effect through the end of, I believe, April. So, or maybe through May. I'm trying to remember when, when at a certain point kids could come on campus, but you still you couldn't you still couldn't recruit off campus. So this is their first spring they've been able to uh, to recruit off campus. Now, look, I'm not saying that's the biggest deal in the world, but I absolutely guarantee you that the inability of this staff by rule to see prospects in person has had a real correlation with the overall talent on this roster right now. You had a transition class that, hell, we said, we were smart enough to say at the time, this, this transition class will probably suck. Almost all of them do. They need to hit the, they need to hit the 2021 and 22 classes out of the park. Boom, COVID. Huh. Again, I do think that the money people at Florida State understand that Norvell is bringing a level of stability uh, to the program right now. Uh, I think the buy ins a lot better than, than it was. I think the organization is better. The talent is not getting better fast enough, I think, to have huge jumps coming. But it could be. I mean, if, if a few more kids hit, then I expect. Uh, but the people who have the money, like the big boosters and whatnot, I believe are aware of some of the factors here. And they're like, hey, we're trying to throw some money at the problem in terms of increasing staff size. And also, you guys have to control your controllables. Um, in fact, that phrase was used uh, to me about MIMS, right? One of their one of their bigger boosters just said, "Hey, you got to control your controllables." That's they did what they could do. They did a great job. You know, had the kid locked in and uh, wasn't going to go visit Miami and all that stuff. Stuff happens. You really can't control the fact you had COVID. You can control your response to it, uh, but. If you hadn't had kids on campus in two years as a staff because you weren't here the prior year, that is difficult. And, uh, yeah, they, they can't go back and change that. I, I guess I'm rambling here. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the dealio there. Fair enough, Ben. It's, it's probably appropriate to begin and end with MIMS. Uh, as far as the conversation, a uh, decent amount of information and perspective crammed in the middle there. And uh, as always, hope you guys have enjoyed uh, the NOLCast. We'll be back into our rotation here for the next three or four months of doing, you know, a show every week, uh, a show every 10 days at the most. But we'll have weekly episodes for you uh, pretty much moving forward until we get into our, you know, our, uh, our game season schedule uh, where we do two in an instant uh, once the games start up and we'll start to talk to you about preview series and all sorts of things. But for now, we'll take you through these summer months. Uh, always be a good time. Appreciate all the support we've received. And uh, for myself, Bud, everybody else associated with the NOLCast, we'll be back with you in the next week or so.